Hello, horseheads and banjo players and all the ships at sea, and welcome to A Very Good Year, the movie podcast where we invite a guest to pick their favorite year of movies and talk to us all about that year. I'm your host, Jason Bailey, and across the mic and across the country from me is my co-host, Michael Hull. Our guest today is an acclaimed production designer whose numerous credits include several fine films, including Carol, I'm Not There, Brokeback Mountain, We Need to Talk About Kevin, which just came up last week, uh, Garden State, The Fighter, Silver Linings Playbook, and American Hustle, for which she was nominated for a little something called the Academy Award. She is also the subject of the newest film craft series put on by our friends at the Metrograph Theater here in New York City. That starts on June 3rd. Folks, say hi to Judy Becker. Hi, Judy. Hi. Thank you so much for doing this. This is so exciting for us. It's exciting for me, too. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, you are our very first production designer guest. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, we've had, you know, some cinematographers, we've had filmmakers, actors, lots of film critics and writers. Lots. Uh, but you are, lots. Those are the people that I can DM on Twitter easily to get to be guests. <laughs> but I think even some of us who, who, who pride ourselves as knowledgeable about film, who write even about film, only have kind of a tenuous grasp on what exactly a production designer does. So for those who don't know, how do you describe the job of a production designer? It's not an original description, but I heard someone say it, and I think it captures it perfectly, which is I create the world that the movie takes place in. And that's in an abstract way, in a concrete way. I design the sets. I help pick the locations. I work on the color palette, the look of the movie, the look of the world that the movie's happening in. And uh, rarely, unless it's a documentary, do they happen in the actual real world. So that's a right. world that the production designer, along with other craftsmen, has to create. Yeah. So so it sounds like it's it's in a it, it's sort of a a position that requires immense creativity and also very hands-on skills and also being able to like collaborate with a lot of different people. All of those things. Yeah. It's a collaboration is a big part of it. You're collaborating with the director and the producers to an extent and the cinematographer and the costume designer, but then you're also collaborating with your own team, uh, my art yeah. director, my set decorator, my construction coordinator. So it's a, collaboration on two ends, but equally important on both ends, I would say. A lot of people skills involved. That's probably my weakest point, but the hands-on and the <laughs> imagination I'm good at. So. <laughs> also, I would think a sort of deep observation, like something like Brokeback Mountain is not just out of sort of most of our locations that we walk around and spend our lives in, but also out of time. And I yeah. think that sort of deep observation of what surrounds us is something that I don't think anybody but production designers and like maybe oil painters are really <laughs> I, sort of approaching that level of observational detail. I yeah, and that really does describe not the oil painting part, but I am a, I observe everything. I walk I mean streets I've walked down every single day. I will always notice something new. Not not the people because they're always different, but like a thing. Sure. And I remember I was once um, with my sister in an parking garage in Chicago. And I was just looking at the signage and thinking, that's cool looking. I'm going to take a photograph of that. And at that very moment, she said, isn't this place hideous? It's just awful. And I was thinking like, <laughs> there's just different ways of seeing, you know. 
<laughs> well, I, I want to talk real briefly about this Filmcraft series over at Metrograph because what they do with these these uh, these series that I think is awesome is that they they have each of the subjects sort of select a handful of their own films and then pair them with a, a film that is a particular inspiration to them and maybe even to that particular picture. And so yeah. I would love to talk just real quick about sort of why you picked each of these pairings. Because yeah. um, first of all, uh, they're screening I'm Not There, which uh, you designed for Todd Haynes, which is maybe my favorite biopic of all time. Because Mine it's, too. Because <laughs> it's like, fuck the biopic. And I yeah. can't like, I can't not love that. Yeah. And I'm also a huge Dylan person. But yeah. um, but but you paired it with Last Picture Show. Tell me about that, that, uh, that pair up. I mean, it was partly orneriness on my part because Last Picture Show would be an <laughs> obvious pairing with Brokeback Mountain. But it, it, but it actually <laughs> was the movie I was thinking about when I first approached Brokeback Mountain, and um, but it's still been hugely influential on me, and um, and I was I've been thinking about it. What is it about that movie? And I think that a big part of it is that it was a period movie made in the seventies, but takes place in the fifties, and I always forget that. I mean, I've seen it a mm. bunch of times, and I think that because it feels so. It feels like we're in that world at that time. It doesn't feel, you know, period in quotes. And yeah, that's yeah. what I really strive for in my work. I've done a lot of period movies now and Brokeback was my first, but I've, I've been, it's like my specialty now. And, um, <laughs> but I always try to make it feel real, you know, like, like we could be there. Like it feels like a real world to us and not like, not a sepia toned image of the past. So it's something that it, it, I don't always aim for that but most of the time you want it, it to feel vital and real and like um those are real people and they're not like imaginary mythic figures so i think that's the reason it's a long answer but i think that's the big reason and it's got a nice minimalism and, and like a very refined approach to the imagery it's not overstuffed or anything but right i think the fact that i always forget that it's a period film is the real reason yeah. Right, because it's so incredibly lived in. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. so then the the film that you paired with Brokeback Mountain was Walkabout. Yeah. Yeah. And I now, mean, to and me, why it, that one? I thought of it right away when I when I read the script because um, Walkabout, you know, it's about two teenagers. I don't even know if they're both teenagers that are stranded in the wilderness. And um, most of the movie takes place in that wilderness, and it's coming of age story and many many things. But at the end, there's a flash forward and you see the girl as an adult in what looks like a high rise apartment building and everything's beige and gray. And it looks horrible. I mean, really horrible, depressing. It's a depressing ending, I think. And and you know what's going through her head, that she's remembering those times and it's that she will never have again. And that's so much of what Brokeback is about. Um, it's about the freedom that Jack and Ennis find in nature and that they can't achieve in, in real life, in real life society at that time, at that period of history. Um, so it was really, it was definitely the first movie I thought of in terms of the contrast between the natural world and the socialized world. Um, oh, and, I, I, yeah. and Ang had never seen it. I will just, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. You got to bring a movie to him. That's I did. That was yeah. I mean, yeah. He's That's pretty much badass. seen everything. So yeah. it's like, yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And then the third pairing is uh, we need to talk about Kevin with Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. And that's a little more straightforward because um, it's, uh, and it's something I, I always, I, I talk about fairly often that you have to, if there's anything that's kind of over the top that's going on in a movie, I like to balance it with something very grounded in reality. And I think yeah. the best horror films do that. And the best, um, uh, you know, I don't know, magical realism, or anything that involves a degree of the supernatural or of the magical um, or of like over the top behavior. Even I always, I think you need to balance it or it just becomes about, about the superficial things and not about what the story's really about. So what I love in Rosemary's baby, every time I watch it, which is quite often as like often as it'll play at the Metrograph, I'll go see it. And um, <laughs> yep. is how relatable it still is. I mean, you know, she goes down, you know, Upper East Side, going to her doctor. It looks like how it would look now. And, you know, she's, they're a young couple. They happen to have a really, really nice apartment. So that's not maybe so grounded in reality for most of us, but that's luck. I mean, it's witchcraft that got them that apartment and yep. their neighbors are so annoying and banal. And just like the neighbors that you really are just like, you don't want to have to hang out with them, but you're being nice. So you do. And that's, what's so clever about the book. I assume and, but the movie is that it draws you in that way, just the way the characters are drawn in through, yep. you know, it's not like there's cobwebs on their door, you know, and a big sign saying, keep out the, the cat castanets. I can't remember their name, but um, yeah. yeah. So it's that balance of the real and, and the supernatural. And in Kevin, um, you know, it's about this pretty screwed up murderous kid and uh, Kevin. And um, so even though we took things a little over the top at times, they, they live in a suburban house and it was so important to me to like have like these ugly plastic toys all over the place in that house. Cause that's what happens when you have kids, you know, like there's plastic yep. toys everywhere, unless you're really, really like a design freak who just forbids them to enter the house. So, um, <laughs> and, you know, we took it a little to the extreme um, in certain ways with the color palette and, but it's still like a suburban house with a lot of plastic in it. And that was sort of my, uh, my way of grounding it in a familiar reality. That's great. Well, this is a spectacular wow. tri trio of double bills. Um, let's talk a little bit about what we're going to talk about tonight. What year Not did Kevin. you pick? <laughs> hey, hey, look what you did. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, go ahead. What year Sorry. did you? What year did you pick for your very good year, and why did you pick it? Well. As soon as I got the invitation and I looked at the list, I was like, damn, all the years from the 70s are gone. What am I going to do? You know? <laughs> and uh, and the truth is I would have picked 1976 because that's the year my absolute favorite movie, Taxi Driver, came out. But it was already taken by someone who didn't even include Taxi Driver, just going to say. <laughs> and um, so and then there were some mysterious years that had like these initials and nothing else. And I said, are those years available? And they were. And I chose 1972, not because of The Godfather, but because of Fat City, which is one of my favorite nice. movies. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah, that's why. 
All right. Well, we're going to talk about both of those and three more uh, spectacular 1972 movies. But before we do, Mike is going to fill us in on what was happening in the world around the movie theater in 1972. Here's headlines. The organizers of this civil rights march promised that there would be nonviolence. The army have said throughout the day that they hope to use minimum force. But three hours after the procession began, this has ended up, as dusk comes onto the bog side, as the worst ever confrontation between the army and the Catholic people of the Cragen and Bogside. All right. Uh, the year started off strong. Started off uh, with some big news. The British Army on January 30th killed 14 unarmed marchers in Derry, Northern Ireland. Most of our audience probably first heard about this event in the typically melodramatic U2 song, Sunday Bloody Sunday. But there are tons of films and docs that touch on it. And even though they don't really talk about it, it's just an excuse to tell everybody to watch Dairy Girls. Because it happened in good. Dairy. And Dairy Girls is great. So is uh, Paul Greengrass's Bloody Sunday, which is a very uh, intensely visceral uh, docudrama-style recreation of that day. Good picture. As he does. Yeah, it, there was a lot of, of uh, the troubles were, were at their peak in 72, so there was a lot. That's the only one we're going to touch on, but that was happening all year long. Yeah. Uh, on February 2nd, actually, the British Embassy in Dublin was burned to the ground. So that was the other point we <laughs> touch wow. on as far as that yeah. goes. On March 22nd, uh, it was a big day for the U.S. government, slowly dragging itself into the present. Congress sent the proposed Equal Rights Amendment to the states for ratification, which did not happen. Almost. Uh, it was very close. God it was like damn it. two states away. Still hasn't. <laughs> yep. Also that day was the release of the Supreme Court decision in Eisenstadt versus Baird that guaranteed single people the right to buy birth control. Well, thank goodness oh we're in no... Tr no no danger of that ever getting rolled back. That one, at least, at least that's safe. At least that's safe forever. Settled that in 72? Yep, settled business. It was illegal before then? It was, you had to be married and like have a marriage certificate. And I mean, you know, depending on how shitty your pharmacist wanted to be. But to buy a, you had, uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And it was in some states, you know, New wow. York was, I mean, like with many other things, New York yeah. was a little looser, right? Uh, but yeah, that was when the Supreme Court made it nationwide. Amazing. Amazing. Sounds insane, but here we are. Yeah. In April, the U.S., the Soviet Union, and more than 50 other countries signed the Biological Weapons Convention and agreed not to use biological weapons on each other, which seems okay. like a low okay. bar. Yeah. But yeah. we finally crossed it. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. In May was the SALT-1 treaty when we tried to do something about all the missiles. Again, uh, very, thank very similar All these situation. problems are taken care of now. Yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah. all went away. Yeah, it's just yep. amazing how that happens. In June, a bunch of morons got busted burgling the DNC offices at the Watergate Hotel in Washington, D.C., coining a phrase that is shorthand for fuckery to this day. <laughs> wait, wait, I'm not I'm not familiar with this, Mike. This is You said Watergate? <laughs> yeah, it's a hotel. Okay, yeah, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to do some Googling. I'll get back to you. <laughs> okay, great. You go ahead. Yeah. I'll read up. In July was the first rainbow gathering. And if you don't know what that is, you didn't smoke enough pot in college. I don't know what it is. I guess nobody here smoked enough pot in college. <laughs> I'm still Googling, Mike. This is an ITN news flash from the Olympic Village in Munich, where early this morning, armed Palestinian guerrillas raided the sleeping quarters of the Israeli team. The gunman shot dead two Israelis and are now holding 20 athletes and six officials as hostages. 
The guerrillas are demanding the release of 250 Arabs held prisoner in Israel and have set noon as the deadline for their release. Negotiations are going on with the German government. Also that summer was the 1972 Munich Olympics, which ceased to be a sports story when the Black September organization killed 11 Israeli athletes and coaches and one West German security guard. There have been several movies about that as well, and some of them are good. Nixon wins by a knockout without ever leaving his corner. The only man in the world to go down for the third time and live to fight again and win twice. And that's really tricky. Three cheers for a gallant winner. And in the loser's corner, champion shadow boxer Senator George McGovern. Like he said, how can you fight a man who talks about peace all the time? They say that Nixon won because McGovern lost. How else? In the fall, Richard Nixon was re-elected president in a landslide, but literally did not spend one minute happy about it or anything else. <laughs> okay, Mike, I finished my Googling, and I this this Nixon fellow, this Watergate, man, this was bad business. I don't, bad news. Yeah, I, don't bad think, news. I don't think he should have gotten re-elected if that was happening. I'm, this is a little shocking. Have um, you ever heard the story of what he did the night he got re-elected? No, I haven't. He sat in the uh, in the private quarters of the White House and wrote a list of all the things that were wrong with him. <laughs> like, oh, when I tell you this man didn't enjoy one fucking minute, uh, <laughs> I wait, mean, not wait. one minute. That's like my typical Friday night. Is that a weird thing to do? <laughs> <laughs> Company you keep. Yeah. Uh, in November was the last two executions in Paris when Roger Bontems and Claude Buffet were killed by a fucking guillotine. <laughs> oh, my God. 1972, baby. The past is not as far away as we think it was. They kept it real. Kept it real to the end. (laughs) Also that month, the Mellow Yellow opened in Amsterdam and started their coffee shop culture. And if you don't know what that is, you didn't smoke enough pot in college. This is homecoming day for Apollo 17, the last round trip to the moon that Americans may take in this century. In less than an hour... The astronauts will be back with perhaps what may be the most valuable cargo ever delivered in space. The spacecraft that lands in the Pacific will have traveled nearly one and a half million miles without getting so much as a flat tire. And in December was the Apollo 17 mission, the final manned mission to the moon, when the astronaut fellows drove my grandpa's buggy for the last time. So that's pretty sweet. Heads up. Yay. And uh, here's a fun fact about 1972. It's the only year where they added not only a leap day, but two leap seconds, making it, they call it, the longest year in history at 366 days and two seconds. But, like, how long have we been counting the leap thing? It seems like longest (laughs) year in history is a bit of a dramatic title. Ah, I picked the longest year. (laughs) I was going to say, that's why there were so many good movies in 72. More year to put them out. More time for more exploitation so there you go. <laughs> the daytime edition of The Price is Right debuted in 72. So that's right. obviously good. Wait, yep, there was yep. a nighttime edition? Yeah, was there was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was right. a there was a like a prime time when like primetime game shows were sort of the last time that was a thing before, uh-huh. you know, the the version about 10 years ago. Right. There was. It was not hosted by Bob Barker. Uh he brought in the morning edition, uh the daytime side, and that's the one I grew up on anyway. You should have led with that story. <laughs> it is the best, the like yes. most positive yeah. story we've had yeah. so far. Definitely. Uh, the Joy of Sex was published for the first time in 72. Yay. That seems like a good thing, obviously. 
Yeah. Lots of people died in 72, but the only one we're going to mention is the not in a in a not at all celebratory way. Not at all. J. Edgar Hoover fucking died. Finally, rest in piss. <laughs> Big hand for the Grim Reaper, everybody. Big hand. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Give it up for the Grim Reaper. Finally getting fun. J. Edgar out of here. That guy was not doing any good by then. Uh, nope. Some people were born in 72. Wrestler Big Show. Pro surfer Kelly Slater. Uh, Billy Joe Armstrong and Trey Cool from Green Day. Comedian Ralphie May, Shaquille O'Neal, rapper Common, American soccer great Mia Hamm, Jennifer Garner, and her perpetually dissatisfied ex Ben were both born in 72. <laughs> uh, Busta Rhymes, Octavia Spencer, Laverne Cox, Manny Ramirez, Wayne Brady, Zinedine Zidane, Lisa Leslie. So many cool people are turning 50. Mm-hmm. Or turned 50 last year, I guess. Leslie Mann, yep. Maya Rudolph, Cameron Diaz, Idris Elba. The list goes on. Yeah, those last four, that's my dream blunt yeah. rotation. Les- Leslie Mann, Maya Rudolph, Cameron Diaz, Idris Elba. Yeah, yeah, that's an Good excellent one. Saturday. Uh, Eminem, Gabrielle Union, Alyssa Milano, and finally, the notorious B.I.G. Rest in, Rest peace. in peace, Big Papa. Didn't turn 50. There was no World Cup in 72, and although lots of sporting events took place, the only sports story that matters from 1972 is the death of professional baseball player Roberto Clemente, who died in a plane crash taking relief supplies to Nicaragua. Mm. By all accounts, a genuine minch. Rest That's headlines. Peace. All right. Thank you, Mike. Judy Becker, you ready to do a top five? I am. Yeah, Judy has requested uh, that we do a a random ranking selected by us. Yes. Um, that <laughs> that we throw one out. There you go. Yeah. We can't just turn the show over for twenty five. Nah. We gotta we gotta select carefully. So, I am gonna start uh, with. Uh, the, the movie that everybody thinks about when they think of the year 1972, presumably, and that's a uh, little Francis Ford Coppola picture called The Godfather. Yes. Michael, do you renounce Satan and all his works? I do renounce him. Don't ask me about my business, Kate. Is it true? <laughs> Now, this is a movie it's hard to say new things about, but uh, but Judy, you're 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 incredibly uh, tuned into this world. You're 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 a, a brilliant woman. I'm sure you have some new and, and profound insight into the world of The Godfather to share with us. Oh, yeah. Well, I can't believe that actually Marlon Brando played both The Godfather and the guy in Last Tango in Paris. In the same same year. Yeah, because they look, I mean, he looks a lot older and fatter in The Godfather, right? And I was just re-watching Last Tango today, and I'm like, wait a second. Like, how did they, really, how did that happen? How do you do that? So, first of all, there's that. And then I could get serious and talk about, like, both the anti-hero that is the godfather and the hero that becomes the villain that is Michael Corleone. But he doesn't become truly villainous until Godfather 2, I think, when he kills Fredo or has yeah. him killed. But um yeah. but that's you know that the story of the anti-hero is something that fascinates me and I really think the 70s was a great time for that. So um hence the Godfather. And it's Absolutely. a beautifully, perfectly crafted movie in every way. 
yeah tell us tell us a little bit yeah tell us a little bit about it from a from a production design uh perspective because that is one thing we don't hear much about everyone's you know yeah well I, i mean i guess this is the time to say that if I really love a movie, most of the time I don't notice the design and um, mm, because the design nice. is working yes. in the way that it should. So right. I remember scenes in The Godfather. I mean, I, didn't, I did not rewatch that movie recently because I've seen sure. it a gazillion times. A gazillion times. But, times. Uh, yes. um, <laughs> and I, yeah. And, um, but, you know, it looks great, but every minute of it is believable. Like you never question that though. I mean, who knows how people like the Godfather don't really exist, but if they did, who knows how they really right. live? Probably more like Tony Soprano than like that. But, um, but you never question it. It just looks right. It looks right. Every step of the way, the shitty apartment that Sonny lives in, like it all looks just right. And it's not overdone and it's not too over the top, but it's, you know, it's not, they don't live in the Bronx for, sorry, you know, but I live close to the Bronx too. Like they don't live in a (laughs) shitty apartment in the Bronx. So it just looks right. Like this is what you do. You don't overspend it, but you have a nice life and people come to your office and ask you for favors. So yeah, uh, Yeah. it looks, and then the music, we all know it by heart and, and it's uh, gorgeous looking, it's shot beautifully, but all of those things are so perfectly done that really, I hope no one's thinking about them when they watch the movie. Yeah, very much so. The one thing I just sort of want to throw in for any L.A. uh, listeners, uh, I was in your fair city a couple weeks ago, went to the Academy Museum, and they have a Godfather exhibit up right now that is, like, astonishing. That's, like, props and costumes, sketches, all that sort of stuff, but also really for my money, the highlight of the thing is like the full scale, the Don's office is like in, in like the, the fucking room. Set? Like they recreated the set. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. I might have to go to yeah. LA just to see. I love yeah. like that. I love recreation. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. I was going to ask it's if amazing. they had the horse's head, but the study. They have the horse's head? head. <laughs> <laughs> they got both for you yeah. out there, Judy. <laughs> All right. The, for the next randomly chosen movie on your list, I'm going to turn it over to my co-host, Mike. Mike, what do you want to hear about? I want to talk about Last Tango in Paris. I don't know what to call you. I don't have a name. You want to know mine? No, no, I don't. I don't want to know your name. You don't have a name, and I don't have a name either. No names here. Not one name. You're crazy. Maybe I am, but I don't want to know anything about you. I don't want to know where you live or where you come from. I want to know nothing, nothing, nothing. You understand? You scared me. Nothing. You and I are going to meet here without knowing anything that goes on outside here. The point that you made about about, you know, Brando and these two things, I want to follow up on because he was famously such a pain in the fucking ass on the Godfather and like not learning his lines, you know, and just sort of I mean, that those stories are so famous that when I'm watching Last Tango in Paris, I'm like, did he just improvise this whole movie? Like, what? how did they make this movie? It seems movie? like it, right? It seems like he improvised. It does. Yeah. It seems and, like he sort of yeah. like had an American's understanding of French. And yeah. they just went and rocked with it. A pretty so bad is one. that? Yeah. And I think, <laughs> but I do think, I mean, I'll be honest. I don't think Last Tango's a great, great, great movie in the same way that some of the other ones are. But I think it's an excellent movie. And I think it does actually look gorgeous. And that is one of the reasons I love it. I think it's, you know, who doesn't want to live in that apartment? 
if you're a woman, you probably want to look like and dress like Maria Schneider. I mean, she's incredible. I don't know if anybody wants to be Marlon Brando in that movie, but it's, you know, it just, <laughs> the music is great. And it's just, it's a, it's, it is a feast for the eyes and the ear. And that's a big part of its appeal. I think that it's, it's so beautiful and stylish. And I, I hope that, you know, that's also part of the point of the movie is that all of those things don't really matter if, if your wife commits suicide or if you're about to, you know, enter a bourgeois marriage that seems like fun, but probably isn't going to be in, in five years. Um, but it, I also think the movie is a lot about the play between reality and cinema, obviously, since Jean-Pierre Leo is making a movie about his right. during the movie. Um, right. But yeah. But Marlon Brando, when she asks him about to talk about it, I guess she asks him to talk about himself, even though he has that rule of, you know, don't talk about it. He, right. everything he, they, he's lists all the parts that he played in movies, right? Like he's the, or someone says he was a, rebel in South America and he was a ship's captain and he was a journalist in Japan and all these things that he played, but I don't think he ever did any of them. So that, um, I think he was, I think it was a lot easier for him to just talk about himself really like his memories of milking the cow and the shit on his shoes when he went to school. I do think it was, I think it was improvised. I mean, it seems that way. So, but I think that that gives us that effect of, that Bertolucci wanted. Well, because everything, everything else about the movie is such a Bertolucci film. It's so controlled. Yeah. It's so, you know, sort of everything in its place. The angles are all proper, you know, it's yeah. everything else about it is so controlled that it sort of creates a, an environment where he can just be fucking miserable and just yeah. walk around being miserable in this movie. <laughs> yeah. And it actually works. It actually, yeah. it's, it actually sort of, like, because Conformist is one of my favorite movies ever. Yeah. And yeah. and that yeah. just, like, you know, the tension in the shots and the way that the sort of the filmmaking and the acting sort of play together in Conformist, it feels like they're actually bumping up against each other in this movie, but in a way that totally complements yeah. instead of sort of... I, I, I had actually never seen Tango before. Well, I watched it for this episode, and I really... Really? I really... Yeah, I really... Because yeah, I love Conformist so much, I stopped watching his movies at some point. And I don't... I know that's a very like, weird, like... No, nothing like, can be want, as good, you know? I get it. Well, if I really... Like, some of my favorite movies, I will... I don't... I will never rewatch them because I don't want to spoil that first great <laughs> moment when I saw them. I mean, I am crazy about... Like that, about some movies, but... It's interesting because it, what you just said just kind of goes back to what I was saying before, which is that balance of the controlled mm-hmm. versus the uncontrolled, and which may or may not have something to do with the story of Last Tango, but it's definitely a good way to make a movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. No, Mike. Yeah. Your instincts are right. He, he did do quite a lot of improvisation, much, much more than, than he typically did or Bertolucci typically allowed. Um, and that, and that was a big part of the sort of collaboration and, and some of the friction too, was that I think he kind of felt like Bertolucci got more out of him than he was comfortable revealing, which I think is very interesting. Uh, but yeah, but keep in mind too, like, you know, before this year, for about six years before this year, like Marlon Brando was config- was considered over, was like, you right. know, Coppola had to like get get him to do a screen test and take a huge pay cut and so forth for Godfather. Wow. And then he ends up having this incredible year, wins best actor, fucking wow. kills it. And then he's Marlon yeah. Brando again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, Judy, I want to hear about the movie you picked 72 for that wasn't The Godfather. I want to hear about Fat City. Can I buy a cup of coffee? Yeah. Yesterday is dead and gone. Life means a beeline for the drain. And tomorrow's out of sight. In four days, I'm going to be 30. And it's bad to be alone. There are some women that love you for yourself. But that doesn't last long. That city is, it's a very, it's my, you know, I love that movie so much, but I understand that this is like a personal fixation of mine that other people might <laughs> like it or they might yes. not like it, but they might. And I can't say that I have a particularly good reason to say why it's my favorite movie of that year and one of my favorite movies, but a lot of it does have to do with the crafts, the crafts of the movie, because um, it's designed. I mean, I'd actually realize this because I never think about who designed a movie or who shot a movie unless I happen to know. But yes, Richard Silbert, once again, who has designed some of my favorite looking movies, designed Fat City. And I think it's really the best movie John Huston directed, but obviously I'm a seventies person. So it's, um, and, but it, the opening of that movie, I think, is one of the best openings ever for, for any movie. And there's I have others I could list that are among my favorites. But it's um, it opens with um, Help Me Make It Through the Night, instrumental version. And it just it's a montage of what look like real people. Um, they don't look like actors dressed as real people. And the city of Stockton. Um, the sort of others, the wrong side of the tracks, city of Stockton and people who are down and out and down on their luck. And it is so moving to me and also just sets the tone for the movie so beautifully and sets the world like it really sets, gives you the reality of the world that the movie is about to take place in. And then the actors don't disappoint. I mean, I think Stacey Keach is incredible in the movie and, and all, all the actors are, but I, I was just, I just rewatched it and I was like, what? Like he went to Yale? Like Stacey Keach went to Yale? Like <laughs> I mean he went to Yale, but you would never like that's acting, okay? Because I you fully believe that he is a drunk, like down on his luck, ex-boxer who, you know, just can't get it together and never will. And it's you know, it's a story about not being human to me. And it's and you know we can all, we could all be where he is. We could all, you know, it's so easy. It's so easy to cross that border, I guess, between managing and not managing, you know? And yeah. I, I don't know if you guys agree, but I've often had fantasies about like, why bother? Why not just go be a junkie, you know? And, and I'm not, <laughs> I don't mean this seriously, but there's a part of me that's like, yeah. it'd be so easy just to stop trying to engage with the world and just, be you know like sort of i don't want to say sink to the bottom but it, it, i think it, another chris christopherson song which is me and bobby mcgee where freedom is having nothing left to lose i mean that is freedom you know because we've all we all deal with these real life problems of paying our rent or our mortgage or whatever and making sure we're up on our health insurance and all these things that take up so much time and, and are not fun or rewarding in any way. And then there's, mm -hmm. you know, if you have a job you don't like, that's not so great either. And just like every, is everyone tempted to just say, 
fuck it. Like, I'm just, I'm going to stop, you know? So Mm -hmm. that movie, that brings that out. That movie brings that out in me, you know, all of those thoughts and feelings along with a lot of empathy for the, the characters in the movie. And again, just perfectly, perfectly crafted. I'd say one of the most perfectly crafted movies I've ever seen. Um, so that's my aesthetic. The thing that <laughs> the thing that that blew my mind that I didn't know about until um, a few months ago. Friend of the show, Sean Burns, a previous yeah. guest, uh, wrote a piece about it uh, at uh, Crooked Marquee, a site that I edited. Really? wrote wrote a, a huge thing about Fat City. And what I didn't realize was that like this was very much Houston's comeback movie. Like oh. after the mis after the misfits had fallen apart in the early sixties, yeah. he did this exile in Ireland. He was making kind of not great movies. He's doing things yeah. like the Bible and stuff like that. <laughs> um, and this was his first like Hollywood movie in about a decade. And the fact that he just like roared back in with a movie that has, that's that has that new Hollywood feel that feels yes. like, Bogdanovich yeah. or Friedkin or yeah. one of these young bucks could have made it. And Houston's just coming in here like, fuck you. I made the Maltese Falcon and I can make this too. Yeah, you know? no, it's it is, it is actually amazing that he did that. Yeah. And uh, and I admire him so much for that because because you think of that, definitely that, that new Hollywood is a young man's game, you know? And when someone, someone like does something again, like when, uh, what's this, Werner Herzog made, um, uh, bad lieutenant in port of call new orleans which i sure. love but i'm like yeah. this is a young guy's movie how did he make this yeah. movie you know it's and yep. that's a, always so impressive so yeah yep. it's like another reason it's one of my favorite examples of that idea that like those you know there was a time when to be a director meant you know swapping genres all the time yeah and yeah. you know sort of the idea of like finding the the notes of this director that show up in a cowboy movie and a detective movie and you know and then yeah. and he's you know sort of had done that you know, yeah. had been through several sort of different styles and then was, you know, I, there's that famous story about, you know, somebody was making fun of Shakespeare because he couldn't write like the five act thing. Right. And he was like, <laughs> fuck you and wrote the best one ever made. Yeah. It's one of those kind of like, oh, you think I fucking can't? All yeah. right. <laughs> you know, that's so that's I love that. Yeah, that's. Yeah. And I don't know if he made any good movies after Fat City. Like, did he? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Like I mean, Fritzy's Honor. Fritzy's yeah, yeah, Honor, yeah. baby. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. he was making making the dead with like a, a fucking, yeah. you know, yeah. a breathing machine strapped <laughs> to his face. He's like, I'm dying on set. I don't yeah. give a shit. That's a good way to go. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right, Mike, what is the fourth film we're going to talk about? Okay, want to hear about Heartbreak Kid. Neil Simon wrote it. Elaine May directed it. The Heartbreak Kid. It's just plain old-fashioned corny lingo, sir. Uh, I have fallen head over heels with your Kelly here. Uh, it, it just, you know, it didn't take me long to make up my mind. One good look did it, actually. I said you're lying in my spot. Oh, you are this terrific girl! You are this terrific girl! <laughs> now, there is a slight complication. Um, I happen to be a newlywed. Uh, this is not my favorite movie. Oh. What's wrong with you? <laughs> well, agree. right. That's what I want you to tell <laughs> me. That's what I want to find out. Okay. I want to find out what's wrong not with me. Not your favorite movie, yeah. 
Uh, oh, yes. Uh, it's not your favorite movie. And well, it's like Civil Shepherd is great. Like there's a lot of great things about it. There's a lot of great performances. It's not. But it's I was I was I was sort of like, whoa, this is a top five. Like hit me with I want to I want to see why this is like a top five. I think that movie. Well, first of all, it's it you know, it's. There's a lot of serious aspects to it and social commentary and existential crisis and, you know, like yep. all these movies, like every single movie I picked, I was like, I'm not really <laughs> in the mood to rewatch this right now. You know, like, I want to watch some shitty British mystery on, on Britbox, but you know, this is, these movies are a downer, but you know, the, the movies of that time were, and also yeah. the movies of that time, and not so much in the heartbreak kid, but are examining like, real people and people who are living more in the margins of society. And the heartbreak kid is just about like an average guy, like an average guy, yep. an average girl to get married way too fast. Um, and I think to have sex basically. Um, mm-hmm. And right, so they could buy birth control. Cause maybe, you know, that they <laughs> made this movie. Um, and, uh, and it's a mistake, obviously uh, he thinks so. And, but it's hilarious. I mean, I yep. maybe you have to be like, a Jew from New York, like I am, to find it so <laughs> hilarious. But um, but it, I've seen it so many times. I just saw it at the Metrograph, I think, like a few months ago. Nice. And I was like, yeah, nice. this movie holds up. Like, it's just, yeah. I, I, it's almost like Rocky Horror Picture Show to me. Like, I know what's going to happen. I know that he's going to tell her, like, when just when he got the pecan pie. And, you know, I know yes. that, that the, what's that, egg salad on her mouth, so gross. And, you know, and uh, the... And another, what does she say? Another 50 or 60 years or another 60 years. Like when she keeps talking about the, you're just going to have to put up with it for another 50 or 60 years. I mean, (laughs) over and over. So she's not like, you can see why this, he is like, what the fuck did I do? You know? And he's not, he's no great catch either, you know? And he's not, it's like, these are two very like, in certain ways, unappealing people, both of them, or just regular people. You can see it either. If right. you're not married to her, she's fine. So, and right. maybe he's fine too. He doesn't behave so fine, but so he <laughs> meets Dream Girl, and you know, I'd say we all wonder really how the hell did he get her? You know, like really, like he went out to Minnesota and he manages somehow, and um, <laughs> it's just you know, she he's exotic to her. She's never seen anyone like him, and. And then that's not enough either, right? He's, he's he's at the wedding reception, and it's so it's a it's it's really a movie about dissatisfaction. What does life mean, you know? And and it, it's a deep movie. It just yeah, it shows that's it the in key. A way, yeah. So now you like it now. You've like shown me the key, which is yeah. which is finding some sympathy for the, for Groden, which <laughs> is like finding a, a connection to his experience and having some empathy for him. Whereas I'm just, you know, I'm sort of watching the movie like this fucking guy. You know, yeah. <laughs> just I don't know yeah. what to do. With this guy's uh, fucking hopeless. But yeah, I think that's an interesting point. Ending. It's not a happy right. Ending, yeah. You know? right. Yeah. It's like as soon it's as not. he gets her, he's miserable again. And, yep. Uh, yep. So that's yeah. what's so great about the movie. Yeah. Really. Yeah. 
I no, I agree. I I yes. fucking love I love yeah. the heartbreak kid. <laughs> yeah. Mike has just like a lifelong aversion to cringe comedy. <laughs> and I think and I do think that like when we're talking about, you know, the about cringe comedy, like this is a, a formative text. This is yeah. like interesting. This is doing I would it. say it's not my favorite genre and I never even thought of this movie that way, but you're right, but it is great and it is a form. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's the Bible, yeah. really. So Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Elaine May. And then what I also love about it is that it's written by Neil Simon and it has got way more piss and vinegar than a typical Stop. Neil Simon script. And I'm not anti Neil Simon. No, I, I, know. I, I love his stuff. No, but, but he's yeah. he's a you know, he's a, a joke machine and this is not a joke machine. Movie. At all. And, uh, and Elaine May's direction is just like is peerless. I think so I think. I think it's it's truly a movie that that maybe does not work if you have a dude directing that dude's script about right. this terrible dude, you know. Right, I think that right, was right. Really yeah, key. and she cast her daughter too. Let's not forget that. Brilliantly, God! Yeah. But like, yeah. how much how much therapy do you have to go to? Your mom cast your mom, mom cast you in that role. Gave me the leading role in a movie, and you'd think that'd be a good thing. But I just wanted to be Sybil <laughs> Shepherd. I'm sure she did. I'm sure she wanted to be Sybil Shepherd, but. I was thinking there isn't, I don't think there is a single joke in the movie, like not a haha joke, you know, right. like there's right. not a single one. And that is unusual. Yeah. You're right. So I just yeah. learned something too. There we oh. go. All right. <laughs> the last film in our top five, John oh Borman's <laughs> yeah. Deliverance. These are the men. Nothing very unusual about them. Suburban guys like you or your neighbor. Nothing very unusual about them until they decided to spend one weekend canoeing down the Kahulawasi River. John Boorman's film of James Dickey's explosive best-selling novel. Yeah, man, I rewatched that today, and uh, oh shit! Yeah, so that that you know, I had to medicate after that, but, uh, <laughs> like, but on the other hand much as I think it's an important movie and it's definitely a memorable movie, especially certain yeah. parts of it. But I hadn't yeah. realized how, how um, layered it was in terms of depth and, and what it's about and subject matter and man's relationship to other men and to the earth. And very, um, you know, I mean the seven, the early seventies was a big time for environmentalism. So it's not surprising that there would be a movie that, that has some of that in it, but it's really very forward thinking in, in so many ways about man's relationship to the environment and uh, something I've studied a bit and um, in the nineties. And um, it's, it was really interesting. Like is nature there for us to just take advantage of it? Obviously that's what these guys think like, yeah, let's ride sure. the river one more time, you know, before it's sure. late. And, um, and it's, uh, it, it is, it's, a, I think, a really, really deep movie told in a way that might not seem so deep. I don't know how to describe it because it's not really a genre movie, but, you know, and by the way, I never read it, about movies, but, so all of these really original thoughts are just from my brain. <laughs> but it, no, 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 it's, it's, it, it, it's not a genre movie, but it has genre elements. It has totally, yeah. the boy's adventure, the action, you know, yeah. the, 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 the forest, uh, you know, the, the writing, the writing, the, the, uh, the, the river and all of that's yeah. writing the rapids there. There's horror movie stuff in it, obviously. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. there's almost <laughs> 
Friday the 13th type shit in there almost. But yeah, but yeah, but I think above all, and I mean, and, and I don't know, this is why I know how easy it is to romanticize the 70s. But, you know, the idea that like mainstream studio movies were willing to like, yes, this has genre elements. This has exploitable yeah. elements. You can yeah. put together a trailer that sells this movie. But right. this is ultimately a movie about masculinity, about yeah. toxic masculinity. Yeah. You know, 45 years before anybody's using that phrase. Completely. And completely. Yeah. It, it it is and it and it's also a movie about man and i don't mean masculine like i don't mean the male gender but about man's relationship to the environment which is also mm-hmm. it was timely at the time but looks even more timely now and um yeah and both of those things and it's also fascinating because i didn't really realize it until today because I, I was thinking about it instead of just watching that it changes protagonists like halfway through the movie oh yeah and, you know oh, yeah. and that doesn't happen too often so that no. was really yeah um so that was yeah it's uh it's pretty well done and um yeah, There's an interesting element, too, of how the people are part of the environment, the people yes. mm. who are already there, yes. you know, the yeah. people, right? Yeah. There's a sort of, there's a little bit of a, like, colonist, nativist, you know, sort of Definitely. thing happening, even yeah. though, like, everybody's white. And, yeah. and, you know, so, so like, that's a different sort sure. of a take on that, but that's yeah. definitely a part of it. And the idea that there are people here who are a part of this land. And if you want to come ride the river, yeah. you're going to have to deal with them, get rid of them. You have to have a plan for this sort of 100%. element of the environment that you oh. don't know anything about. And that is dangerous to you. It's dangerous. Right? And it's such, so it deals with that. I mean, most of the time, I mean, I think there's a few moments where you're like, this is just like pushing it a little bit for the audience you know but it's um in the beginning when they're the dueling banjos and the old man starts clog dancing and it's this really fantastic moment and they're like you know smirking about it you know and that's like that's like don't smirk so quickly you guys yeah (laughs) these people belong here and you don't and you're gonna find out what that means and um and it is very much about that um which it's i think one of its best the best things about the movie and the performances are great too, of course. Yeah. No, you know, again, like, yeah, this got, you know, major studio release, big budget, major stars came out huge hit. Um, Dueling banjos became a radio hit. Like America had (laughs) deliverance fever. That's insane though. When you think about it. Yeah. Oh, and then can I say one more thing? Another thing I love about the movie is that it's about Southerners in like city Southerners in the rural yes. south it's not about yes. northerners and versus the south you know it's 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 these it's two different cultures within what what northerners think of as one culture and i think yeah. that's a, such a key ingredient of it so key yeah. like it would have been much worse movie without that I agree, 100%. All right. Thank you, Judy, for that first-rate top five list. And now, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema from around the globe. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there is always something new to discover. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected so you can explore the best of cinema streaming anytime, anywhere. And while they currently have some 1972 movies streaming in the U.S., I am going to cheat a little 
because a uh, score from 1974 came up on the browse page and we already did 1974, but I still want to recommend score, which is directed by Radley Metzger, who we've mentioned on the show before, or maybe just in the after show. This was his last not quite hardcore movie before he started making hardcore movies in the 70s and uh, took on the Henry Paris name. It sure feels like it's going to go hardcore at a couple of points, though. It's really on the hinge between the soft and the hardcore, but it's a terrific sex comedy drama relationship movie you think it's setting up you know it's like a swingers movie basically this couple meets another couple and they just they make a little bet with each other that they can seduce the other couple but they don't pair off in the way that they usually pair off in movies such as these uh the young woman goes after the younger woman and the young man goes after the younger man and it keeps things very spicy and unpredictable and Radley Metzger like was a legit filmmaker he knew how to put a movie together he knew how to put a scene together he could click 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 his compositions are outstanding score is really terrific so if you'd like to watch a movie that's really well done and is also pretty hot uh I would recommend score currently streaming in the U.S. from movie Mike I would recommend checking out Lake of Dracula from 1971, All right. which is a Japanese horror film. Obviously, there's lots of great Japanese movies coming out you know, for at least the whole generation before this. Mm-hmm. But this movie is a vampire movie, which mm-hmm. is a distinctly sort of Western, European, you know, there's no samurais. It's, it's cool as shit, Lake of Dracula. Nice. All right, well, you can try Mubi free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash a very good year. That's M-U-B-I.com slash a very good year for a whole month of great cinema for free. That's right. Free, baby. All right, let's find out what films were winning trophies and making money in 1972. Here's Mike with awards and box office. Sell out with me. Oh, yeah. Sell out with me tonight. All right, as it should be. Best Picture, Best Actor to Marlon Brando, Best Adapted Screenplay to Coppola and Mario Puzo for The Godfather. No lies detected, no Uh, complaints. Carry on. Very good. Yep. Best Director to Bob Fosse, Best Actress to Liza Minnelli, and Best Supporting Actor to Joel Gray for Cabaret. That cabaret is fucking good. Cabaret it is, and I was uh, on the fence about. Ca- I, I kind of now think maybe cabaret, last tango. I'm not sure which would be the one I would. I mean, that could change in my head, but yeah. The, my, my only problem with cabaret is Liza Minnelli. So, oh really? Yeah. Not a fan? I know I like her. I think she's good. I don't think she's sexy enough in it. Yeah, fascinating. Okay, yeah, I'll go with yeah, that. I'll go yeah, with that. All right. Yeah. But I love her. I don't want her to feel bad. I mean, it's just, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Best Supporting Actress went to Eileen Heckart for Butterflies Are Free. I've never seen that one. Neither. It's a good one. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah. Best Original Screenplay to Jeremy Larner for The Candidate. Ooh, oh, The Candidate. That's is a good it? movie. Yeah. 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 Good, yeah. good, tight script. Yeah. Yeah. Best foreign film went to the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie. God, I love, I love <laughs> the discreet charm. I fucking love it. I love it. Oh, that that dirty old man and his dirty movies. God bless yeah, it. I saw that movie when I was like 14, and I didn't understand any of it. So I never revisited it. So. It's worth a look. It's yeah. worth a look. Your perspective will have changed yeah, uh, sure. over the years, yeah. I imagine. There'll be some jokes you didn't get the first time, uh, <laughs> if jokes is the right word for it. Yeah. Other significant award winners. Uh, the Golden Globe for Best Actress went to Liv Ullman for The Immigrants. 
which I shamefully have not seen. I don't know if I've seen her or not, but that's so funny because the Golden Globes was really schlocky back then, right? But they gave uh, a good yeah. award. Like, yeah. Well, if you it. if you want to hear really schlocky, stand by. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that, uh, in fact, that organization gave the award for best supporting actress to Shelley Winters for the Poseidon Adventure. So there we go. There There's we go. The wow. <laughs> There's, get, get you an awards giving body that can do both. I guess. <laughs> Pasolini that. won the Golden Bear at Venice for the Canterbury Tales. Very good. Hats yeah. off, yeah. Pasolini. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, fine. And there was a split award for the Palm d'Or at Cannes between the Working Class Goes to Heaven and the Matai Affair. I've not seen either of them. I just love the title, The Working Class Goes to Heaven. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a, it's a, just a French, real good title. It's a, French, it's a great title. And it's very it 72, is. I think. Very yes, it is. Very yeah. <laughs> Yes, indeed it is. <laughs> All right, Mike, what did the uh, domestic box office top 10 for 1972 look like? This is a rich and varied list, let me tell this you. Is, yes, this is a very fascinating <laughs> list. Uh, number 10, everything you always wanted to know about sex but were afraid to ask. It was a title. Got him in. <laughs> Got him in. Yeah. Got yeah. him in. Not, yeah. not, no matter even how you feel about Woody Allen, not one of his best movies. Not, not one, one of his best movies. movies. No, I mean, it, not at all. And he made some... I'm saying, meet Judy Becker, my opinion only, he made some great movies in that time period. He did. Not, he did. not a some, great one. Yeah. Not little 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 too blackout sketch scattershot yeah. for, for, yeah. for me. Yep. Yeah. Also, considering all the great, like, you want to call them exploitation? We call them adult? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all yeah. the great, like, that movie needed to be a lot fucking dirtier yeah, to come out yeah. in 1972. That movie should have come out five really years true. before. It's yeah. true. It's true. <laughs> Number nine, Lady Sings the Blues. Hell yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Richard Pryor should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Lady Sings the Blues. I will I will shout it from the highest mountaintop. Number eight was The Getaway. Oh, interesting. Huh. Peck and Paw's big uh, comeback picture. Like, uh, Getaway yeah. was a big hit when he really needed one, apparently. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know it was a big hit. That's interesting. It was. Yeah. yeah. Number seven, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the only time... That and that and a movie that is this adult has made the top ten list, right? Was Deep Throat? Deep Throat, really? Yeah, that's even yeah, number seven <laughs> for the year. For but that's also domestic for the year. Yeah, wow, yeah, wow. And honestly, that's reported income. Like I've done the reading on yes. that movie, and that's, a lot of yes. a lot of the money that movie made just like went straight into like suitcases that mom yeah. picked up. So it made so a lot more. It made a lot more. Might than have been that, number it, one. Might have very well I've been. I've seen yes. it listed yeah. as high as number four. I've seen it on top 10 yeah. of the year list as high as number yeah. four. But when they place wow. it that high, there's always a little like asterisk that's asterisk. like, we don't actually right, right, know. Right, right, right. <laughs> you the, know. the deep yeah. throat really asterisk. Really interesting. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little asterisk hanging at yeah. the end like a little tonsil. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's there funny. should be another one, by the way, that says Lovelace made like 50 bucks off that fucking I movie. Know. And, I and know. that's, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Number six, the aforementioned and much loved cabaret. Very good. Lots of people liked that movie in 72. Number five was Jeremiah Johnson. That I was a huge, huge box office success. People love their Redford, man. And I've never seen it, so I can't. Oh, come. it's really good. Yeah. It's very good. Yeah. 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 Good double feature with Deliverance, actually. <laughs> Which was number four. <laughs> there you on go. On our list. Oh. Yep. Uh, number three, What's Up, Doc? 
Oh, Judy, do you like What's Up, Doc? By Peter no, Bogdanovich. No, I can't watch it. I can't. I just she annoys me too much. So wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. Wow. And, and I have Fab friends. slander on the pod. Wow. I, you know what? It's I have my husband and a very good friend of mine. They both love that when they're like, "You gotta watch it again. You gotta see." And I tried. I gave it ten minutes. I mean, that was it for me. <laughs> sorry. Wow. And I'm sorry, Peter. Right. You know, because I love Peter Bogdanovich also, but no. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Number two, because these things always do well. Poseidon Adventure. Yeah. Yes, they always yeah, do big, well. Yes. And big, it's huge smash. There and you especially go. Especially Shelly Winters. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. People were having a hard life in 1972. They didn't always want to watch Marlon Brando mope around Paris, <laughs> right? <City. laughs> <laughs> and number one, cue Uh-oh. the hat trick effect, Bailey. Oh, you are witnessing something quite spectacular. Completes a hat-trick! Crazy, just crazy. Remarkable hat-trick. Beautiful, just beautiful. Y'all ready for this? All right, yay! The Godfather. The Godfather at number one. Judy, congratulations. Occasionally we have a guest that pulls the Very Good Year hat-trick which is when that we have a film that was number one at the box office, best picture, and on their top five list. And you have achieved <laughs> this rare feat with The Godfather. Uh, congratulations on your Thank excellent you. taste. What do I get? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> you just got it. It's our hearty congratulations. And there's a sound Thank effect you. that will play if you actually listen when it comes and, out. And it's a rare year in general, right? When yes, a yes. great movie... It's great and gets those yes. things too. So. Yes, and indeed. Remember, yes, indeed. Yeah. Yes, by 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 a guest that is a, a titan of the industry. So congratulations. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. Someday that might happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Judy, you ready to do a lightning round? Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. All right, I'm gonna barrel you through. Say as as little or as much as you again? want. As okay, yeah, okay. I watched the Just, example, so I'm like, yeah. she must be a professional comedian. I can't compete with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you got something to say about it, say it and say it quick. If you got nothing to say, just pass. I got a nice okay. long list here. Uh, lot okay. of lot of good shit. Here okay. we go. Five minutes on the big clock, Mike, and Chow Manhattan. I love that movie because she talks about how I don't even remember. She started the culture that the redneck hippie belongs to. And I love that boxcar Bertha from a young man named Martin Scorsese. Not his best work, but a great, great opening as he continues with mean streets and Alice doesn't live here anymore. The King of Marvin gardens. I have never seen it, but I should The hot. It is. It's pretty good. The hot rock. A movie I loved as a kid. I loved that movie. I had a crush on Paul Sand, and it was very funny. And I don't want to rewatch it because I might hate it now. So I love that out of that cast, you had the crush on Paul Sand. I know. Um, I know. <laughs> Bruce Dern in Silent Running. I I've never seen it, but I'd like to. Slaughterhouse Five. Never seen it. Pass. Whatever. Alfred Hitchcock's Frenzy. Oh, frenzy, frenzy, frenzy. It's actually a really good movie, you know? I'm not giving enough credit. Hitchcock did a good job with that. 
Eric Romer's Chloe in the Afternoon. I like it, you know, but I was having trouble distinguishing it from many other Romer movies of, of that period. So I just couldn't bring it to the top five or even the top eight. Francois Truffaut's Two English Girls. Again, liked it a lot, but not his best, in my opinion. I love Truffaut, but not not the one I remember. Fellini's Roma. Eh. <laughs> Bergman's <laughs> Cries and Whispers. <laughs> Herbert Ross's Not Woody Allen's Play It Again, Sam. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's like cute, right? It's like a cute a concept, a cute concept movie. Yeah. Humphrey Bogart and Woody Allen and all of that. Uh, another Neil Simon script, Last of the Red Hot Lovers. Never seen it. Two juicy Gene Hackman performances in Prime Cut and Cisco Pike. Prime Cut is quite a movie. and It I've is. Seen it several times. Um, it's hard to find for a while. Cisco Pike, I've never seen, but now I want to see it because Gene Hackman's great. Great movie. Gene Hackman in a supporting villainous role opposite leading man Chris Christopherson. Cisco Pike is oh, great. And I love Chris Christopherson. So, yeah. yeah. It was a Rhodes Scholar. Yes, indeed. Two, scar- two starring Michael Caine, Pulp and Sleuth. Wait, what was the first one? Pulp, pulp, pulp. Like P-U-L-P? was his his, mm-hmm, his reunion with his uh, um, uh, Get Carter director. Never saw. I, I, I pass on that one. Sleuth. I mean, it's you know, it's it's very actually. It's a good. It's like a Columbo episode. It's a good movie. It is. Right? It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. Wes Craven's Last House on the Left. Great movie. It's a scary, very scary, scary movie. Even now, I think it's scary. Brian De Palma's Sisters. Sisters is, should have been in my top five, Michael. And, um, oh no, Bailey. Bailey, it was in your top five, right? I really, I just it saw is. Sisters for the first time like last year. And it's really, Holy shit. Yeah, no, I really liked it a lot. I think it's a movie that hasn't sunk in yet. So it didn't make, you know, it didn't surface to, to my top, but really good movie. That totally scans. Paul Morrissey's Heat was released in 1972. I, I can't remember which one that is. I mean, I, I just don't remember it. I've seen it. Fair. Yeah. Fritz the Cat, the X-rated cartoon. <laughs> Great little film. <laughs> Ever seen it. I've read some of those comics, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Robert Altman's Images. Damn it. That's with Susanna York. Is that yes. with Susanna York? Yeah. Yes. like, when I saw it, another one I didn't understand, you know, but I'd like to see that again. I'm ready for a second viewing of images and a double feature with Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Dario Argento's Four Flies on Grey Velvet. I have never seen that movie, but I love the title. It's a great title. <laughs> it's a great title. Uh, recently discussed on the Video Archives podcast, Ozana's Raid. Pass. Sam Peckinpah's no Ozana's raid is killer. It's a great really? Vietnam Vietnam era western, like that very specific yeah, brutal western. ass. Yeah, 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 yeah very, yeah, very yeah, much. Yeah, very much. Uh, Sam Peckinpah's other nineteen seventy two movie, Junior Bonner. Never heard of it. Okay, uh, I'm going to give you a choice here. Do you want more westerns and cop movies, or do you want some black exploitation movies? Um, well, I like, I like black exploitation movies. It's probably, I'm probably better at the Western that probably have seen more of the Westerns and cops movies, if any. So let's go with those. 
Okay, Joe Kidd from director John Sturges and star Clint Eastwood. But not that one. <laughs> George C. George C. Scott in the New Centurions. I don't remember it. I'm not doing so well. You're doing great. Burt <laughs> Reynolds in Fuzz. <laughs> That's then how's about how's about gordon parks's shaft's big score um well the score for all the shaft movies is great so (laughs) (laughs) gordon Gordon parks Parks direct that gordon parks a photographer did the first two shaft movies i didn't know that see yeah wow that's really fascinating i gotta go see those again and then Gordon Parks Jr. directed 1972's Superfly. Yes. Well, that's, that should have been on a list, maybe. My list. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And that is our lightning round. That is that our five hard. minutes. Judy Becker. Really you know, hard. you did great. You yeah. did great. It's a, it's a rich and varied year. And I made it through yeah. about half of this list. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you for that. Now we're going to throw it to our friend W. Axel Foley for a quick PSA. Head on over to your favorite podcasting app. Give us a star, a rate, a review. Give us a written review and tell us that you love us because that's what lets people know that we're here. All right, Judy, uh, where can people keep track of you and your work? Are you on social media? Do you have a website? Do you bow out? What's your What's your move? Uh, I have, I'm on Instagram. Uh, I don't have a website. And my Instagram name is... Uh, Becker Design 2000. Outstanding. Becker Design 2000. And I'm going to tell you why, because it was in the year 2000 that I became a production designer. So there we go. You know what? (laughs) Instagram (laughs) is the social media platform that a production designer is going to shine on. So stay off the other ones. But it's like, I have probably 6,000 posts on Instagram. So now it's like a visual diary of my life. So I have to keep it Beautiful. Beautiful. That that sounds like a first-rate follow, folks. Uh, and while you're following her, cruise on over to Metrograph.com. Get tickets to the Filmcraft series. Again, that starts on June 3rd, but they'll be running those double features a few times in the in the, the days that follow. Uh, meanwhile, I am Fun City Cinema on Instagram, Jason-Bailey on Letterboxd, where you can find under my list the top fives for every episode of the show. Mike, where can people follow you? I am at BrainwashedLib on Twitter. And I should mention that we are now on Substack, a very good year.substack.com, where paid subscribers get bonus episodes, bonus writing, and much, much more. Mike, before we go, what is your favorite movie of 1972? My favorite movie of 1972 is a documentary called Marjo, which is a combination of the, the names Mary and Joseph about a, a kid who was born into like a fire and brimstone, uh, you know, hellfire preaching community uh you know revival it's preachers a great movie. yeah oh my I've god i it. love that movie so much yeah, and he great. you know it it starts off with stuff of you know there's footage of him in the 50s and 60s as a little kid out preaching this fire and brimstone and then in the 70s as a full-grown and uh, clearly broke adult <laughs> he he decides to go and become a fire and brimstone preacher again and start raising monies at revivals but there's all these behind the scenes shots and there's pictures of him in the hotel counting money and clowning the whole thing and it's a fucking amazing movie and it, it i'm not huge on remakes but there needs to be a 
Somebody needs to make that movie now with like the guy who becomes the new Ben Shapiro, but he's like <laughs> in on the fucking joke the whole time. The point is, that, you know, the audience is still sort of predictable and malleable in a way that I really think that movie could be made again every fucking year. And it probably wouldn't make any difference, but it would be good movies. So Marjo, my favorite movie, documentary from 1972. How about you, Bailey? Uh, my favorite of the year, aside from The Godfather, which predictable, boring, basic yeah. bitch white dude yeah. thing is my yeah. favorite movie, yeah. yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But uh, my my, I'm going to take the opportunity to recommend Seek Out Across 110th Street, which is a terrific combination of sort of like the New York grimy post-French connection cop crime picture and a sort of like the bleakest black exploitation movie imaginable. Uh, incredible Yafet Kodo performance, incredible Anthony Quinn work is just like the dirtiest fucking cop imaginable. And Paul Benjamin, one of the corner men from Do the Right Thing, will break your heart as the sort of criminal at the center of the thing who's the most, one of the most desperate people you've ever seen in a motion picture. And also just an amazing Bobby Womack title song, great score. It's just a really, really good movie. Pops up on Amazon Prime periodically there's a really good Kino Lorber Blu-ray of it pick it up it's uh, highly recommended you've been telling people to watch this movie for 25 years I don't maybe not that long but it feels like it it to me sounds amazing and you're you're, yeah yeah yeah. I've seen this is (laughs) no that's it's the title song in Jackie Brown and so I'm like well what song is this and then you go look into you hear the song and then you go so well this is part of a movie let's go see this movie and yes i've been wow. begging people to watch it ever you, you want to like your your friend's favorite movies you know you don't want to be like <laughs> yeah i saw that it was you i do. this was one where where you know you you told me to watch this we watched it together and like there was no i didn't have to fake the funk at nice. the end of across 120 10th street that 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 movie lives up <laughs> nice all right thank you again judy becker for coming on the show thank you guys so much fun i love doing it thank you it's a great concept for a show too love it thanks so much thank you mike thank you jason and thank you for listening sweet and clear. it was a very good year